Please turn also to the New Testament, to the text today, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Begin reading from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through verse 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not, as a, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. May we go to our God and ask for his blessings on the reading and also the preaching of his holy word. Our blessed Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, for your word is clear. We thank you, Father, for your word is authoritative in our lives. Father, we thank you that your word is sufficient for us and that it is necessary, that we cannot get by in this world without your word. Father, we thank you for the instructions that you give us, that we of all people should be those who desire to do good works, that we might bring you glory. Father, that it might be an expression of our gratitude to you, that you are the one who justifies us by faith apart from works, but you have called us that we might be active in good works. Father, we pray that we might trust in you, that your ways are perfect. Father, that you have told us that the world will know that we are Christians by our love when we do good works. Father, we pray that you would help us to be overflowing with compassion, and with kindness, with mercy. Father, we pray that our lives might be transformed, that we would be filled uh, with the love of the Spirit. Father, we <clears throat> pray that we would desire to see others coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray that the gospel would go forth this day, that if any have not embraced it as their own, we pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would do this mighty work that he alone does. Father, we pray that our lives might be lived in submission to you, that you uh, are worthy of our praise, that you are trustworthy. Father, we ask that your Son, Jesus Christ, would be exalted, that your servant would be humbled. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> what kind of vacationer are you? There are two different types. There are the types who play it by ear. There's, a, there's actually that phrase, we play it by ear, meaning you make, you make this plan, we're going to go to this place far away, and 
we're just going to see what, what comes up at the last minute. Or there are those who plan out every single detail uh, down to what food you're going to eat at which place. Which kind of vacation are you? You realize that oftentimes in families, there are going to be differences within families about vacationers. And that at times might be the, uh, the reason there could be some kind of disagreement or conflict. Regardless of what kind of vacationer you are, when you think about God, what type of planner is he? Is he the play it by ear? Do you see what comes up? Or do you think he's the one who plans out every single detail of your lives? He's only one type. He doesn't play things by ear. He doesn't need your input. He's not waiting to see how you respond to things. Every detail of your life is planned. And even in this passage, it speaks about how even down to your works, your good works that you do, that these are planned of God, that you would walk in them. Here we have in Ephesians the presentation about our Lord Jesus Christ, that he is the glorious Savior, and his beloved bride is the church. That in chapter 1 we have the presentation about how the plan of salvation is good, that God made this plan. And chapter 2 is as if he's the Apostle Paul saying, hey, just so you know that this plan is not just good a good plan on paper, it's a good plan in reality. That when the rubber meets the road, that Jesus, the Holy Spirit, God the Father, that this plan comes together. That this plan actually saves people. That people are changed. That lives are transformed. That there is such a thing as someone who walks in darkness and then sees a marvelous light and their lives are no longer the same. And that we who see others in the world, they they look and they, they try to manufacture these changes, but they're unable to. And so we see in this passage here, this contrast, verses 1 through 10, we began with uh, how bad things were and how we walked, and he finishes by talking about how God plans that we would walk. So the, the truth that we see in this text is one verse, Ephesians 2, verse 10, your good works are of divine accomplishment, which Christ created you for, and God foreordained you to do. Your good works are of divine accomplishment, which Christ created you for, and God foreordained you to do. We'll look at this in three points. The first is the product. You are God's masterpiece. Second, purpose. Jesus created you for good works. And third, plan. That God foreordained you to do good works. So we have this first point, the product. You are God's masterpiece. The first part of verse 10. For we are his workmanship. Here, the apostle Paul began in chapter 2, verse 1. He began with this description of what you once were. That you were dead in the trespasses in sins in which you once walked. So he begins by talking about walking in verse 1. And then he ends in verse 10 that we should walk in them. So he's talking about good works that we should walk in them. So this is what they call an inclusio. So here you have an opening thought. You have a closing thought, verse 1, verse 10 of, of chapter 2. And he's, he's closing his thought out. In, in this section, this, uh, you have a contrast. You have a contrast of what you once were. In verse 2, 
that you once walked following the course of this world. So worldliness, that was part of us. And it was that you and I, before Christ, were under the power of Satan, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. We once, describing our actions, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. So the description of our actions is that we followed our passions of the flesh and of the mind. Then, regarding your state, we once were those who were by nature children of wrath. So that was the B.C., the before Christ. And then you have the contrast is the now. Now that we are God's workmanship. So no longer the product uh, in bondage to Satan. We are God's workmanship. Now... Regarding our actions, created in Christ Jesus for good works. This is what God prepared in advance for you to do. No longer doing the works of Satan, but doing the works of God. Here, salvation is not your own doing. It's not the result of works, so that no one may boast. And we ought to understand, for we are his workmanship... It speaks about how we are God's workmanship from beginning to end. We think about this workmanship. We think about this masterpiece. So it's, it's not as if God just planted the seed. Oh, I'm going to plant the seed. And, and, and uh, it's, it's entirely up to you. No, that's, that's not the description of, of the word of God here. Rather, that, that God's workmanship you are from beginning to end. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 For I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus So here, God is the one who perfects Not that you can become perfect and sinless but he is the one who is sanctifying you He is the one who is making you more like Christ You are God's workmanship from beginning to end Here, being God's workmanship, being God's masterpiece, it ought to be a whole new way that you have of thinking about yourself. I'm sure you can understand this thought. The world understands self-pity. You as a Christian have never been called to engage in self-pity. You believe that? Never in the Bible, please prove me wrong, maybe I haven't read it soundly enough, but when in the Bible does it ever say as a Christian you should engage in acts and works of self-pity? We should not wallow in any form of self-pity. In fact, God has called us up, he's lifted us up. The world understands and, and, and engages in self-pity. Self-pity so badly, hey, I pity myself so badly that you should pity me too. This idea of once a criminal, always a criminal. Your descendants of criminals, that you are a family who is no good, good for nothing, that's the way you were born, that's the way you will always be. Those are the teachings of the world. God does not tell you this. We see that in the person of Abraham, that God calls Abraham. 
He called him from a family of idol worshippers. And he says to him, hey, you're going to leave your household. You're going to leave your father. You're going to leave the place that you know. Everything that you understand, everything that you've ever seen, I'm going to take you out of it. I'm going to take you to a completely different land. And here we ask, what was God doing? God was separating Abraham from his past. Go, Go to this foreign place. And you think about why we're told Abraham was a man of great faith. He was going to leave behind everything that he knew. We have a term for this, about uh, being unable to, to leave the past. There's a word, fancy word, recidivism. The tendency to relapse in a previous condition or mode of behavior, especially that into criminal behavior, sinful behavior. And for a sinner, it's an impossibility outside of the work of Jesus Christ to, to leave that life behind. Here, you realize that God thinks of us in a whole new way. Have you ever heard people in another room speaking ill of you? Has that ever happened to you? Where you hear people speaking ill of you and say, Hey, wow, that guy, that guy thinks he knows how bad I am. I could, I could tell him things ten times worse about me, huh? but, but I'll, I'll hold that back. But have you ever wondered how God speaks of you as a Christian? Think about this passage in the book of Job. It comes up twice, Job 1 and Job 2. Here. God says to Satan in Job 1, verse 8, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Would you think that for a moment... That this is the same way that God describes you as his child. That he doesn't say, oh, this, this one of mine is good for nothing. Uh, he's always involved in what is wrong. He never does anything good. And, and uh, if, if, you stop, if you stop yelling at him, then he comes to a complete stop. Think about what Satan says about Job. Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. Here, notice the difference. God speaks so well about his servant Job. And Satan speaks so evilly about God's servant Job. Understand that you, in Christ, are God's workmanship. You're created anew. You must have a new way of thinking about yourself. That you are God's masterpiece means that He, not you, He gets all the glory. Psalm 115, verse 1, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. That this would be the start of, the th- of that psalm, that this would be the start of every thought, every day. Not to us, not to us, but to your name give glory. That God will receive the glory in all that we think, all that we say, and all that we do. Because we are his workmanship, that we're, we are his masterpiece. You are his masterpiece. 
that you are the masterpiece of God, it means that he will protect you to the end. Here, you think about the, the major pieces of art, the famous ones. If you owned one of them, wouldn't you insure it? Wouldn't you protect it? That uh, you, you think about some of these famous heist movies, right? The heists are, they're trying to break in, right, with these lasers and, and all kinds of uh, uh, interesting uh, shenanigans, and they try to break in and steal these art pieces to have them. And here we think about what the Lord does with his masterpiece, that he gives his people the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory, that God gives his Holy Spirit to protect you, his masterpiece, that your faith might not fail. We see also that your spiritual life is God's doing. It is because of Him that you are in Christ Jesus, who, gave, who became for us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. It's because of Him. It's not because of you. It's not because of a choice that you made that you're in Christ. It's because God, from eternity past, set you apart that you would be in Christ. So this is the product, that you are God's masterpiece. This is a new way that you ought to think about yourself as a new creation in Jesus Christ. We have the second point, the purpose. Jesus created you for good works. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. That this is not the result of a dare. That, that you are different not because it was a result of a dare. I dare you to live like a Christian. It's not because of your iron will. You know what? I am going to be different. I made a promise to myself I am going to be different. Here, imagine this. Imagine you had a cage, and you had all these sheep in there, okay? And you, you tell this wolf, Wolf, you're going to stop being a wolf. You're going to become a vegan. I'm going to put you into this cage with a, with a dozen sheep, okay? And, and tonight, I'm going to put you in there, and tomorrow morning, there better be 12 sheep still there. You say that to a tiger. You can say that to a wolf. And the next morning, I guarantee you, there's not going to be 12 living sheep there. And, and then he's going to come out, and he's going to say, oh, I tried, I know, I tried, I really tried. But they were just so tasty. I, I, there's only 11 now. I'm saying this not to mock sheep. I'm saying this that you might understand. You can't change the character of that wolf. He's a carnivore, right? He, he, he thirsts for it. He lives. He breathes it, right? He can't stop thinking about the taste of sheep. But eating grass just doesn't seem to cut it for him. Any. You realize that in the same way, if, if someone is told, you know what, you're going to stop this sinning now. You're going to stop living like this. The answer is, you're like that tiger. You're like that, you're like that wolf. You know, Jeremiah 13, 23. Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then also you can do good who are accustomed to do evil. 
The leper can't remove those spots from him. He can't just, you know, kind of bleach it out, use some vinegar or, or some other fancy cleaner. It doesn't come out like that. The best soap won't remove it. And this is the very description about someone who is in bondage to sin and death. That we cannot recreate, we cannot create ourselves, we cannot decide, I'm going to put a stake in it and I'm going to be different, I'm going to change. The answer is we can't do that. It's God alone who gives new life. And this very phrase, created in Christ Jesus for good works. People talk about therapy. They talk about counseling as if it's proof of or guarantee of change. Hey, you know what? I'm in counseling now. Hey, I'm in therapy now. Hey, everything's different. Hey, I'm not saying there's anything bad about therapy or counseling, right? I'm not, I'm not saying those things are bad or wrong. If anything, someone is in therapy or counseling, it's, it's merely an admission of something wrong, admission that they need to change. That's why they're in therapy, to change. But you realize that genuine repentance is not, it just, it's not simply an admission of sin. There's a forsaking of sin. And you think about repentance, the hardest part is not admitting that sin. Because the, the wolf can admit, hey, so, something died, right? And yeah, eh, I shouldn't be doing that, but then he's so tasty. Here, the very matter is that repentance, the hardest part, is forsaking that sin. Of course you admit it's wrong, but you keep doing it. So this impetus... And the power of change doesn't come within us. It comes by the work of the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 3, Jesus, speaking to Nicodemus, he cuts right to the heart of it. He says, you must be born again. And you realize, this statement, you must be born again, it's not an imperative, it's not a command. Go, be born again. It's not what he's saying. He's saying there's a necessity in order for you to see the kingdom of God, in order for a man to be saved, he must be born again. He's not saying this is something you must accomplish, something you must do. Rather, he's saying this is something that God does. He speaks about the wind, right? Where does it come from? We do not know, but we see the effect of it. We see the effect of a person who's been given new life, who's been regenerated. The effect is that they are living and breathing, that they are believing in Jesus Christ. And that they are doing good works. The change is entirely of God. This change, we're told, comes uh, from the reading, but especially the preaching of God's holy, holy word. That how does it happen? Someone hears the good news. They, they read the word of God. And especially they hear God's word preached. The free offer of the forgiveness of sins. That regeneration is this giving of spiritual birth. James 1.18, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. He brought us forth by the word of truth. This is how it comes about. Someone is hearing the good news, and they recognize, oh, that's Jesus, my master, who's speaking. I've never heard that voice before, but... That is Jesus, my master. And it's not as if he believes it and then he is born again. He's born again such that he can hear it and believe it. And the offer of the gospel to sinners, to you and to me, is that if we repent of our sins, 
and believe upon Jesus Christ that we can and will receive the forgiveness of sins. And perhaps you ask, well, how can, be, how can I pay for it? And the answer is, no, you can't pay for it. Jesus has already paid for it. And if you're going to receive it, you receive it on his terms and not your own. You receive it on his terms, which is you embrace the promises of the gospel for the forgiveness of sins. He gets all the glory. You get none. That we trust in Jesus Christ, it means we must forsake our sins. We must give them up. Now, about these good works. First, we think about uh, how good works fit into our salvation. That uh, good works are not the basis or the grounds of your salvation. It's not you do good works in order to be saved. We ought to understand it that God justifies sinners. That by faith, apart from works, you are justified. That justification is the passing from death to life. This, this is God's pardon for sin is granted. And that having been justified, out of gratitude to our God, we do good works. That good works then are the product. They're a product of your salvation. You've been created for good works. Perhaps we should divine what these good works are. Our elder read earlier from the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 16. Good works defined are what God calls good, what he has commanded in his word. That regardless of uh, things that men devise or out of blind zeal or pretense, those things are not good. Those aren't good works. We, we can't go to God and say, hey, uh, you, you've defined good works, and I, I brought some of my own. Perhaps you might notice this. In our day and age, it seems like people think good works are, hey, I oppose that. Whatever that is. Hey, you know what? I, I signed my name on this document opposing those people or, or that, that thing. You hear this? Hey, I, I stood against something uh, some time ago. That's not good works. That's, sorry, sorry to say, that, that's not... Just because you put your name on a document opposing something, it's not good works. Here, good works are what God calls good, what he commands in his word. Good works proceed from a true and lively faith in Jesus Christ. Meaning that it must proceed from faith in Christ. Uh, by this definition, an unbeliever cannot do good works. Now, we might say that they're outwardly good, that it's a civil good, right? But it's not a moral, it's not ultimately a moral good. Because it must come from a true and lively faith in Jesus Christ. That good works, they adorn the profession of the gospel. They adorn the profession of the gospel. In 1 Peter chapter 3, it speaks about how uh, those who slander you, those who revile you, that they will be the ones who look bad because along with your testimony, along with what you say, others see how you live. So when that neighbor says, oh, there's that, that, that jerk who you know, goes around talking about Jesus, and the other neighbor says, oh, wait, wait, wait a minute. Why, why, why are you saying bad things about our neighbor? He, hey, when, 
When my wife was ill, he was the one who, he and his wife brought over food for us. He was the one who, who mowed my lawn for, you know, three weeks when, when uh, you know, I had the surgery. And, and, and then the other guy's, oh, oh boy. I, 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 oh. And, then, and then he's, like, shrunken away and, and you know, he, he realizes that he's, he's the fool. Because this is how you lived. That along with what you've said, there's a testimony of how you lived. So others can say, oh, you're right. He is talking about Jesus, but you know what? We can't hold it against him because look at how he lived. He lived with such generosity. He lived thinking not only about himself, he, he thought about other people. And that this, this should be true for you and for me. The others might say, you know what? Dang it, he's going to be one of those. He, he talks the talk, but he also walks the walk. So they might in their heart of hearts despise you, but they realize we can't say anything bad about him. You gotta be you gotta be the Daniel, right? Where where the others who opposed him, they couldn't find anything bad about him except that he is faithful to his God and he prays several times a day. That's that's the best that we can get on him. And so here, think about what you were created for. You were created for good works. And that this is how we ought to live. This is what we ought to do. That this should be our desire. We, we should be thinking. We should be thinking about others. We should be thinking about God's grand plan. And that's our third point. His plan. God foreordained you to do good works. This was God's plan all along. God is the best planner there is. There's no better planner than God. Because his plans never fail. Our plans fail all the time. The worst plan is the plan that you don't make, right? Uh, you talk about vacation plans that you don't make, well, they're not going to happen. Here, God is the best planner, and he has planned your good works. He has planned for you to do good works. Now here, the initial response will be, he's planned my good works, so I'm going to sit in front of this TV, and, and those good works will just start coming through the door. The answer is no. This is not how you and I ought to think, that we ought to desire to be active. That our eyes should be open, right? Our ears should be open. They should be trained. Here, I think about this friend that I have. His name is Mike. I won't mention his last name because a number of you know him. And I remember my wife mentioned about Mike. She looked at me and she said, Mike was well-trained by his wife. And I said, huh, why do you say it? He said, look, he sees me walking through uh, with all these things in my hand, and he takes them. He sees, he sees me, he takes them from me. I don't have to ask, hey, Mike, I need your help. Right? Mike sees, hey, Mike's help. This lady's carrying all the stuff. You should go help her. And then afterwards, he doesn't just set it down and then go back about his business. He says, hey, well, what else do you need, right? And, and there, there's, there's an, an initiative. He, Mike was well-trained by his wife. But you realize that we must also be well-trained by the Holy Spirit. That our eyes must be open to the needs of those around us. Our ears must be open to hearing the needs of others. Perhaps some of you are going to ask that stupid question. And I admit it's a stupid question. Why should I help anyone? Huh? Who's helped me? 
That stupid question I can answer with a wise answer. In Christ, you should know that Jesus is the one who gave us the greatest help. That which we could not accomplish. The perfect for the imperfect. That Jesus is one who saw our greatest need. Our need for righteousness. Our need for a savior. And he did that perfect work on our behalf. So if you ask the question, hey, why should I help anyone? No one helped me when I was down. Well, hey, Jesus helped you when you were down in the depth of the grave. And that is reason for us to say, no, wait a minute. I need to be watchful. I need to be listening. I need a desire to be helpful because Jesus was one who helped me. That is the answer. Someone helped you. Indeed, Jesus did. Your good works, then, are an expression of your faith in Jesus Christ. We read that earlier in Psalm 37, verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in land and befriend faithfulness. Trust in the Lord and do good. Trusting in our Lord, which desire to do good. It entails your doing good. Here, we ought to think for a moment about your witness. Part of being a Christian means that we're thinking about those around us. If we're believing the bad news, then we're believing that he and she who are outside of Jesus Christ are are under his judgment and condemnation. So we should be thinking, we should always be thinking and praying about our witness to those that God has placed in our midst. This is, this is part of God foreordaining good works. He's placed us in certain places, right? Certain neighborhoods, certain schools, certain workplaces. And part of your job, you, you must do a good job. You must be faithful as an employee, right? You must be diligent and trustworthy not to burn time and doing other things, right? You should be doing what you're supposed to be doing. But you realize that relationships are there and we ought to make use of them. We ought to be thinking about uh, our witness. And you realize the way people operate. People are not attracted to the best biblical and logical arguments about the gospel, are they? They're actually attracted by people who show kindness to them. That gets their attention. That is what gains often gains a hearing. Someone who went out of his way to help me. And then the question gets asked, why, why did you help me? What is this that you want from me? No, I don't really want anything from you. Or, okay, I do. I, I want you to be a follower of Jesus Christ, right? That you might know the eternal life that he offers. Here, God brings himself glory through your good works. That God's desire is that he would be glorified through your good works. Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. If there's anything that we should be active in, known for, is that we would be those who are eager to do, to do good deeds, to do good works. Not figments of our own imagination, but what God defines as good. He delights in generosity. He delights in kindness. And that when others think about the kindness of God, they ought to think about your actions and your influence in their lives.
And we go to our God together in prayer. Our Lord God, we thank you, Father, for your provision for us, that you and your infinite wisdom have planned for your people that they would indeed do good works. Father, we pray that we would be active in doing so, that we would trust in you. We thank you that in Christ that you have created us anew, that we've been given birth by the word of truth. And we pray, Father, in thanks that you are a God who is holy and righteous, yet you receive sinners. You forgive sinners. And, Father, we thank you that in Christ we have our true hope for forgiveness. And, Father, we pray that we might live in gratitude to you in doing good works. Father, we thank you for your provision for us. We thank you that you've called us to new life. In Christ's name, amen.